I'm Dave Rubin and it's Friday. That means we've got another Friday panel extravaganza for you. Joining me today are the hosts of Slightly Offensive on Blaze TV, Elijah Schaefer and PragerU personality, Amala Epinobi. Welcome to the Rubin Report, guys. Thanks for having me, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, so we're gonna be talking about policing, we're gonna be talking about race, we're gonna be talking about rioting, all of that stuff. Uh, I think most of my audience, Elijah, probably knows you, so I'm gonna start with Amala here. Amala, can you, uh, can you introduce yourself to the Rubin Report crowd and tell them what you're doing with PragerU with your fancy PragerU flag behind you? <laughs> sure, so my name is Amala Epinobi. I am the new member of the PragerU team. I'm the PragerU personality. So PragerU sort of put out a casting call to find people who were giving conservative takes online. And I ended up being the winner of that casting call. So I'm coming at you from the PragerU office in LA. There you go. And Elijah, for our few viewers that don't know you, who the hell are you? Well, I'm not important enough to get called on a casting call. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. I got into this by mistake, but no, my name's Elijah and I, uh, I run a show called Slightly Offensive. And it is slightly offensive because the truth, uh, unfortunately, isn't very popular today. I, I kind of uh, do the the bad thing where I insert myself into situations that you want to keep your kids away from. And I'm talking about the good old peaceful protests and riots that we've all come to know and love. And unfortunately, I'm more known for getting punched in the face by peaceful leftists. And that's not, I'm not proud of that, Dave, but that's where we're at. All right, well, let's start right there because there's obviously a lot going on right now. Uh, why are you in your studio, Elijah? Shouldn't, shouldn't you be out there? I mean, we've all seen the videos. You're usually out there during these things. I mean, and, and yes, you've been punched and attacked and the rest of it for doing your job as a journalist. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I cannot go against human biology. I tore a ligament in my like my between my quadricep and my knee, and so I had a hard time walking up about six stairs into my studio. So I think you know there's a little more running involved in riots and protests than like six or seven steps. Just in case you haven't seen, uh, those people are so loving. They're so grateful that sometimes you have to, you know, run for your life. They want to love you to death. So I, I'm unfortunately injured and stuck here. But I will be out for the Chauvin. I will be out for the Chauvin riots, which we know are gonna happen. Yeah, which is just crazy in itself. Like we know, we have pre-warning of riots, even though we're in the midst of riots right now. Uh, Amala, what would you say is sort of the general temperature right now? It's sort of, you know, if you look on Twitter, and I know that's not the greatest place to figure out the temperature of anything, half the people sort of think, oh, this is just the usual stuff. And then the other half are like, oh, the revolution is here. W what's your take? Uh, it's an interesting temperature right now. I'd say compared to where we were last year, we're sort of at a simmering point in comparison. But I think when that Chauvin trial ends, we're going to head over to a boiling point and we're going to see more of those peaceful protests that we got last year. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. What do you think is sort of the line that protesters can can go to without crossing before it goes into that that riot version? It's an interesting question. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, back when I was working on the left, we would go to protest and it would just be the signs and the screaming. So I'm sure I associate that as a normal protest. But then we're getting into the realm of beating police officers and random bystanders and setting things on fire and looting businesses. So uh, I think we've completely erased all lines in this case. Elijah, we're told that words are violence, except somehow burning down buildings or throwing cement blocks at police officers is not violence. Does that make sense to you? 
Yeah, it actually does make a lot of sense because it's all about narrative and spinning, you know, whatever you want the populace to perceive these events as. And that's really important because, you know, un unfortunately, I feel kind of bad for myself and a lot of reporters who who risked their lives to expose the events last year, because when we were talking about basically all the danger that we went through, all the injuries that, that we underwent and we go, it, it didn't really do anything. I mean, it red pilled some people, but unfortunately the corporate media decided that those riots are going to go back into some, I don't know, they're going to delete them or something like that. It's, it's as if it never happened. And that's what they're trying to do with this. I mean, you look at all of the great video clips that are out there online right now showing what's actually happening in Minneapolis. They're not coming out of CNN. They're not coming out of mm -hmm. MSNBC. These are coming out of independent reporters with 600 followers on Twitter. Those are the people actually showing you the truth of what's really going on. Meanwhile, you, even CNN got called out. Uh, one of the protesters yeah. interrupted and was like, why aren't you in the front lines? Why are you over here reporting? Like, what are you doing? And we know why, because they're intentionally trying to downplay what's actually happening. And by the way, while this is all happening, what's happening on Twitter? Well, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas are getting banned for exposing CNN for quite literally being a propaganda machine. Uh, Amala, you were a lefty, huh? We have a, we have a bit of a similar history. W what's going yes. on there? You you went to the protests and all that stuff. I supported Bernie Sanders. What's wrong with us? Uh, I think we were just uh, delusional for a while there. And I think it's a really easy narrative to fall into. I was told from a very young age that by virtue of being born a black woman, that I was somehow a victim in this country and life was going to be harder for me. And it's a very easy narrative to fall for because you don't have to take accountability for your actions. And I think that's what a lot of people are falling for right now in this country. And that's what makes Black Lives Matter such a powerful organization. Yeah, what do you think when you see, you know, the, the big story this week that apparently is being censored on Facebook, you know, the head of Black Lives Matter, she's bought something like $4 million worth of houses, I think five different houses in a couple different states in the last couple of years. And she was just on an interview that's been going around on Twitter where she basically was like, well, I have no problem with it because, you know, I'm using that money and those houses for my family. And it's like, uh, yeah, that, that's what we all do with money. That's what, what pretty much everyone does. <laughs> What do you make of that? It's very interesting how these trained Marxists love capitalism they so sure much. They sure do. Once you get a taste of fame and once you get a taste of money, it's very easy to fall back into the capitalist America that you hate so much. Yeah. Elijah, since you are often out there, do you can you kind of pinpoint when these things are happening, when it goes over the, the edge, like that it starts seemingly somewhat peaceful? And correct me if I'm wrong, that usually it seems to me there's like a moment where it's sort of peaceful at the beginning and then, but every time it, it goes over, either by design or, or just entropy or whatever you wanna call it. Yeah, there's actually a science to this. So we've actually created a, a several stages of a protest and how it develops into a riot. And it's kind of interesting. Um, and I'm sure a lot of your viewers would like to realize that most of these events start out pretty innocuous. And with that stage one, which is the gathering point, and this is what the media tends to focus on. This is the point when you'll see HuffPost, you'll see Daily Beast, BuzzFeed, Vox out there covering stage one, interviewing people that are dressed kind of bizarrely. Uh, and it ends up just being an amalgamation of mentally ill people, usually angry people and often disadvantaged people with IQ. It appears by their later behavior that come together and, uh, you know, a diverse group of people, very diverse uh, then stage two, what happens, that's when the chanting starts happening. Uh, they end up, you know, coming together with their Black Lives Matter chants. You feel the energy rising. This might also be them marching, uh, kind of becoming coordinated. Stage three is what's really dangerous. Um, stage three is the first time that a law is broken. 
And this is a very pivotal point in any protest. So after stage two is usually when the mainstream media stops recording or they get back in their vans and they leave. And that's what you see on, on the Internet. Stage three is what I where I like to have my fun. Uh, that could be a brick thrown. Um, it could be them calling an unlawful assembly and people deciding to stay past the curfew. And it's stage four is when uh, after that first law is broken, it encourages people to start committing more crime. So people this is a group think in the left. They're enabled by other people's actions, just like you get a donut for getting your little vaccine shot and you have to have some sort of childhood reward to get something they feel enabled. And at stage four is when it becomes and it spreads to where it becomes dangerous to even report on it. And stage five is the actual riot. So once once the, the chaos spreads, it becomes the standard of the event, and that's usually when police lose control. If police can't stop it at stage four, then they lose control of the city. Yeah, Elijah, you do realize that the Media Matters trolls watch this show, and you just said stage three, that's where I have my fun when they throw a brick through the window. You, you see what you've done to all of us, the headache that we're gonna have for the rest <laughs> of the day? Hey, I have my fun. I have my fun doing the job that journalists are supposed to be doing, but they're not. I think it's fun to say to billion dollar corporations that with a cell phone in my hand or, you know, $1,500 camera that I and many, many other people that are awesome that are out there are doing a much better job than these corporations. And that's shame on them for that. Yeah, no, complete shame on them. Amala, I have to ask you the, the stupid sort of identity politics question because I feel like there's gonna be a certain amount of people watching this going, wait a minute, how can a black woman not think that BLM and Antifa are right or the rest of it? Like what kind of blowback do you get in terms of that? I get so much hate on the internet for my views and it's very interesting to me that people are are much more likely to support somebody who sits down and calls them a victim than to support somebody who tells them the exact opposite and that they can succeed and that they can do whatever they want. And to those people, I ask, what has Black Lives Matter done for you? Mm -hmm. Because through the years that this organization has been a thing, and what I would identify as a terrorist organization at this point, they have done absolutely nothing for black lives. In fact, they've been solely responsible for the death of many black people during these riots and protests. So. I get a lot of hate for for what I say, but I have facts to back me up, and there's there's no there's no reason or logic on their side. Yeah, well, what have they done? They got the uh, the founder of Black Lives Matter just bought a one point four million dollar home in Topanga Canyon, which is ninety eight point six percent white. So there, oh, so they're they're one black live that has been <laughs> successful. <laughs> they're, they're doing a, a little something, a little something. Um, so let's talk about the George Floyd stuff because it's on the way. Like we're watching Brooklyn Center, Minnesota basically be destroyed right now, night after night. We're allowing it. And to your point, Elijah, it's not being covered properly on CNN or anywhere else. And this is what I always talk about on the show, that basically people are in a reality war right now. If you watch those channels and you don't see what's going on on YouTube or on Twitter or anywhere else, you'd have no idea. You have no idea what's happening in the in the Chauvin trial right now. You have no idea what the evidence is or what, what the experts are saying or the rest of it. Um, isn't it kind of nuts that we can basically sit here and say, yes, the riots are coming? Like, why don't we talk about, for example, like are the police saying what they're gonna do in advance? They don't seem to do that too often. Do you, do you talk to cops that, that give you any insight on that, Elijah? Yeah, that's actually really important uh, fact, factor there. So the media starts to gaslight for violence in advance, right? Reuters says that the the summation of the greatest police misconduct trial we've ever seen in decades, that's a key phrase, in decades, mm -hmm. AKA 
the reaction to this should be monumental to something that we haven't seen in decades, right? They're, they're, they're gaslighting you for LA riot level mayhem. And what happens in these, in these areas is the police actually stand down. And I always wonder that too, like this is on a personal level. When you're seeing Brooklyn center and it's like on day three, they're like, we're sending in more national guard. You go, why were the National Guard not deployed in mass the first night? Why is the most powerful country in the world? Do we not have the ability and the capability to police our own cities when we can spend millions of dollars bombing Middle Eastern countries and coordinating global wars? Can we not somehow have coordinated law enforcement at a local level? And, you know, a lot of this comes down to the fact that the police there get their hands tied by city officials who want this what's called non-interventional or non-intervention, non-interaction to de-escalate by not getting involved. Just last night at a BLM protest in Los Angeles, a video reporter named Kaylin Dalmeida for Scriber News was badly assaulted in front of 40 police officers I counted on the live stream. They gave him a concussion. They tried to steal his phone. They beat him up into the side of a wall. And all the police stood by and watched. And why is that? That's not because the officers themselves are mm -hmm. bad men and women. It's because the cities themselves somehow allow narrative to get in the way of what they were meant to do, which is to serve and protect the people. And I believe that the officers are frustrated in these cities like Seattle yep. and, and in Minneapolis, they have a shortage of officers. They are not, they are not being allowed to do their jobs. And we have to hold those politicians accountable that are stopping them. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a conspiracy to say that this is exactly what the progressive leaders want. I mean, this is the foot soldiers of their party. So it's like, in this case, in the LA case, it's like Garcetti's a lefty and he wants, he wants riots. I, I honestly believe that at this point. I think there's no other way to look at it. Uh, Amala, do you think that's like a fair estimation? Oh, I absolutely agree. And I spend a lot of time on social media and you can see how all these platforms are sort of propagating these stories and shoving them down people's throat. They're ready for the rage and they're ready to push this false narrative so that when this trial ends, we see the riots. And I know that the people on social media are ready for this to happen. They released a report on Twitter today talking about how there were several police officers in the U.S. and sheriff's departments who had do donated to the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial and his defense. And why all of a sudden, during all this talk of Black Lives Matter and police brutality, is this report now coming out? So I know that they're fueling up the American people for these protests and for these riots. And, and it's crazy how high it goes, because I'm sure you guys saw the statement that Obama issued on Twitter, you know, talking about Dante Wright, you know, another young black man being killed. Now, nobody wants Dante Wright to be dead, but the simple fact is we showed the video several times this week. I mean, he did resist arrest. Now, that's not excusing what that 26-year veteran female police officer did, whether she made a mistake or it was negligent or intentional or whatever it is, but he did resist arrest. But, but Obama doesn't even put that in the statement, like as if he's trying to instigate this stuff too. It's, it's insane to me that we spin these narratives as if these people were simply killed for their skin color or that there was no prior altercation with the police or that they weren't trying to resist or evade arrest. We were looking at reports from 2019 where 19 unarmed black men were shot and killed by police officers. If you go through those reports and look at each of those individual crimes, nearly all of them were trying to evade or resist arrest. And that is a common factor in a lot of these situations. Nobody wants to address it because if they address that elephant in the room, they have to speak to a larger truth about the black community.
Right, and speaking of things that we're not allowed to address, you know, last night they released this video of this 13-year-old kid being shot in Chicago, and they were like teasing it out, like the video's coming, everybody, so let's get ready to go crazy. I mean, that's literally what Twitter was basically doing in their moment section, like, we know something bad's coming. But then I even saw something like, I saw Andrew Yang, who I've had on the show, who I think is a decent person, but he even tweeted out, you know, basically cops killing another unarmed young black man, and it's like, if you look at the video, he's got a gun. He had a gun at one point. He's not, that's not unarmed. He may not have had at that moment, but again, it's just this like muddled truth. Elijah, are you tracking that one at all? And you think we'll get any yeah. truth out of that? Well, a hundred percent. I mean, the question in that, in that case of Toledo, the, the 13 year old boy who was, who was shot is, you know, nobody's asking the question, why did a 13 year old have a handgun? And that's the question we should be asking ourselves. These issues, not just systemic based off of race, but also based off of socioeconomic class, which can be tied to race. And also the problem is, is this is in Chicago, Dave, yeah, Chicago, yeah, yeah, yeah. where kids are killed by gang members all the time. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't look at each individual situation or try to understand this case, but it's like for the mayor to pretend like she somehow suddenly cares about the death of a young black man when in these neighborhoods, this is happening sometimes in the dozens per weekend. Let me Kids, get, I'm, I'm gonna get the numbers. Shot. I'm gonna get the numbers live right now. Let's get the numbers of people shot in Chicago this this past yeah. weekend. Let's just get the numbers it's, live. We'll do it right now. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm saying it's it's insane. And the point is, is that this is the this is like what we saw last year where they, they had the Ahmad Arbery case where they were trying to stoke racial tensions. It didn't really pick up the, what they needed for the election. Then the George Floyd was the, the golden ticket. And the question that people always ask is, why do they want riots? And it's it's a simple answer. These people, the left, the elites, will allow anything or use any method that allows them to grab power and to push their agenda. And they've used these to do a lot to demonize the right. I mean, the Capitol riots, they called me a propagandist for saying that it looked like police let people in. And then the New York Times releases an article just two days ago saying the Capitol police were told to stand down and not yep. use their riot procedures. Why did that happen? And you go, well, we saw why people might have wanted, I can't prove this, but some people might have wanted violence at the Capitol because they got the president deplatformed. They could, they could, you know, demonize all the right wing as QAnon crazy insurrectionists. These people will allow people to die if it means pushing their agenda and it's sick. No, I, I'm with you, man, I hear you. So we just got the numbers. So 30 people were shot in Chicago this past weekend alone. Uh, three were fatally shot. You're not gonna hear Lori Lightfoot talk about any of those people. Nobody's gonna talk about that on CNN or MSNBC because obviously it doesn't fit the narrative. But speaking of the, the narrative, Amala, when, again, this is the stupid identity politics version of this, but, mm -hmm. but I truly believe that Trump was making incredible inroads in, in the black community for whatever worth that phrase has. And we know that, that you know, black male support, I think doubled, I think female support almost doubled. Um, do you sense that, like the feeling right now is kind of maybe that's going backwards because, because of all the rioting and everything else that people are kind of getting sucked back into this, this what I would say is a blue and on conspiracy theory. What, what, what's mm -hmm. your take on that? I think there was a lot of good things happening in this past administration for black people. You can look at the prison reform, you can look at the funding of historically black colleges, you could look at the black unemployment rate. And now suddenly we wanna push this narrative that somehow black people are systemically oppressed in this country, which is a narrative of which I don't agree on. And I agree with you when you say that it's just to garner support for the left and they will push whatever narrative it takes. They will harm these communities in whatever way, shape or form that they see fit in order to garner their support without actually looking at the real issues. We're 
not looking at the gang violence that you mentioned. We're not looking at the regressive black culture. And we're not looking at the lack of parental uh, advisement in, in black communities. And especially when we talk about that 13-year-old boy, Toledo, I read today that he was missing for two days from his household. And his parents had not reported a single thing. And that speaks to a larger issue. So the left wants to talk about police brutality, but they don't want to talk about the real issues facing the black community. And we were making strides in that before, and it has completely stopped. What do you think we can do then to shift that conversation to family or education or some of that stuff? Because this has been endless. I mean, it's, you know, Thomas Sowell's been talking about this literally for 50 years. Larry Elder's been talking about it for 30 years. Plenty of other people have been talking about it. I try to be optimistic about what we can do, but we we are sort of in a deep dark hole when it comes to being a conservative on this issue because the left has built this sort of structural idea of oppression that is so deeply embedded in the black community and people of color that it is very hard to use facts and logics and reason to, to talk them out of it. And I think we just need to see examples of black people who are going against the culture. And the left wants to act like they are the revolution, they are the counterculture. I would venture to say that we are. Right, they're the counterculture while they have every corporation and every institution behind them. It's, it's quite exactly. amazing. Um, Elijah, have you ever gone back to some of the cities after the destruction and talked to business owners, you know, people, community leaders, things like that about what it's like after, you know, the three, day, three days of destruction and then people, you know, media just forgets about it? Yeah, 100%. In fact, I'm actually going to be going back to Kenosha uh, this, this Saturday, which is where the Kyle Rittenhouse situation yeah. unfolded. And, and I, and I want to bring that up as an example. And I, I've actually been in the area twice already, and I'm going back to talk to some people and I've been discussing with some of the shop owners and whatnot what what life's like, is that from Kenosha, what people remember is Kyle Rittenhouse and not the fact that mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter burned down several city blocks and destroyed a city. And that's what is the problem with the aftermath, is when you look at a city like Kenosha, a small city, a working class city, mixed race, pretty diverse between white and black, you go there, it looks like your middle of America town, and you see that people, I mean, the city got overrun. I, they were burning down apartment buildings with kids inside. Uh, uh, I'm not joking. I, people were pushing kids out of windows and stuff. It was, the, they beat up an old man in, inside of his own shop and then burned his shop down, almost killing him. I mean, this is the, the brutality, it's terrorism. When you wake up the next morning and you see that the media is focused on a, an alleged white supremacist that there's no ties to, he has no ties to yeah. these things. And they've turned this whole media narrative about white supremacy. I think that's what hurts these towns the most. And then when they realize that they don't get the support from the state, they don't get the support from the government, and they're left with with the damage, with the brokenness, with the the, the lives lost, the livelihoods lost. I, I, I held a man, a grown man in his 50s who just was weeping because he lost – he had a family business that was lost in a night that he was around for 50 years. and And so it's like – these are real people that are being affected by this. These are real lives. These are Americans. And the media is so sickly bent on narrative and so bent on doing this. And I'm gonna tell you, the reason why they're gaslighting a lot of this, like the, you, people ask why they push the black victim card and then also attack white people is because they're trying to get us to react. They want all white right, right wing people to be like, hey, white people aren't bad. And they wanna get us to keep defending white people. So we're obsessed with race and identity mm -hmm. politics. And they're trying to bait us into their into their reactionary 
you know, message so that when the time comes and they do their next riot, they can dismiss all of us because they're like, oh, don't listen to those guys. Those are racist white supremacists. They're always defending white people. So they're trying to bait white people into this, like defending their race card so they can keep manipulating the narrative on these riots and using them. It's it's un-American. It's unpatriotic. It's it's inhumane and it's diabolically evil. And the people that are doing this are beyond corrupt. I would say that they are they are acting as enemies of, of the people, not in a violent way, but they are actively working against our country. This isn't a racial issue. This isn't whites or blacks. These evil people are all sexual orientations, race and gender. And and you know what? They need to be taken out of office. We need term limits in Congress. And that's how I think we could solve a lot of these issues. I'm gonna make note of that, Elijah. There are even bad gay people. I'm gonna actually just write that down for for the next show to make. Uh, I've met a we'll, couple we'll do, in Hollywood. We'll, we'll do a special. couple. <laughs> we'll do a special on that. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So to to go off that though, Amala, when you see, you know, your former side, my former side, uh, but you know, really they've completely gone off the deep end. So it's hard for me to even remember that they they were my former side. But when you see Rashida yeah. Tlaib and AOC and the rest of them talk about how, it's not that we should just defund the police. We should basically destroy, there should be no police force. There should be no incarceration. Like it, it is a fundamental, I mean, they fundamentally, they wanna pack the courts. I mean, they fundamentally wanna destroy this thing. Um, the, at some point, it seems to me they're in their, a violation of their oath of office. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're virtually trying to deconstruct the American governance and, and how it was created and what we've been founded on. And funny enough, when I was working on the left, which was not too long ago, probably three or so years ago, we were working on campaigns and doing community organizing around defunding the police and sort of instating what they call community policing, which obviously bears new logic and would never work. Uh, but they are essentially trying to tear down all these American institutions of which have served us for, for centuries. So I, I don't know where we're going to go from here. But like you said before, the goalpost continues to move, especially for white people. Now it's not enough to just not commit racist acts or to say, hey, I'm not racist. I view everybody equally and I, I judge you based on your merit and character. Now you have unconscious bias or racism that you're not aware of. And even as I try to speak out and, and challenge this narrative, I get told that I've internalized racism yeah. and that I am somehow supporting these <laughs> racist institutions. So the goalpost moves and there's really no way to dig yourself out of the hole that we are in. And by the way, you know, the people that have really deconstructed critical race theory and everything else, that is by design. I mean, the way it is set up is by design. So to challenge it is proof that it is true. Uh, you guys probably know of James Lindsay's work. I mean, he's done a ton on this. If you question this thing, that proves that you are a racist. That, that's really how out of control it is. Elijah, how bad do you think things are gonna get, you know, in essence next week? Because, you know, assuming the, the verdict comes out, like we know it's coming, we know it's coming and no one's gonna do anything about it. Oh, we know it's coming. I was just driving through downtown Dallas, which was a victim of, uh, a bad victim of the George George Floyd riots uh, immediately after the, the video came out last year. And what I noticed is something uh, that I didn't see last year is that at the main entrances into the downtown area, there's sometimes up to like 15 to 17 police units uh, and there's standby vans. I mean, cities are on alert. And, you know, we should take this stuff very seriously. Uh, and I, I went to actually, I actually did go to a protest. Um, I did go to a protest in Dallas uh, over the weekend where they were kicking over tables, you know, in the name of peace and justice and just yelling at people eating dinner. Uh, and there's one thing that I noticed that this small protest, 
there was like two police helicopters tracking the unit. So I mean, when a city like Dallas, one of the largest cities in America, is taking something small very seriously, this means that the intelligence community and law enforcement know something that I think we all know, is that planned and sustained violence is very possible and probable in our near future. These could be the worst riots we've seen in history. I'm not gaslighting to then say it will happen. God yeah. forbid it. I hope that it that it does not happen. I hope that cities do take control. But w- when this deliberation happens, if we do not have National Guard deployed in our in every major city in the United States, that's going to be a red flag. And then secondly, when we've seen things like in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in Rochester, it is not violence is not uh, sustained just in large cities, S- middle mid cities, midtowns around America. Brace yourselves. Call your city council members. Call your congressmen. Ask them, make sure that they know what potentially could happen and protect your community. Let them know the importance of preparing and bracing for what may be in our near future and play your part. Don't just let your city burn. Don't just let your town fall. Make sure that your people in office are aware because they may not be getting the same sources you have. They may be also Democrat and they may be listening to the mainstream media. Let your politicians know to prepare your cities for the possibility of very, very bad chaotic violence after the deliberations of the Chauvin trial. Yeah, man, listen, as alarmist as that sounds, it actually doesn't sound that alarmist to me. It's like we all know this really bad thing is about to happen and it, and it got ramped up by uh, the Dante Wright situation. It got ramped up by the, the situation in Chicago and now it's like we've got the big one just sitting there and it seems like nobody's gonna do anything. So Amala, I'll give you last word. Like, is there? do you think there's anything we can do? I mean, literally in the next couple of days, is there anything that, that calmer, cooler head people can do to ease some of this stuff. Unfortunately, I, I sort of agree with what you said earlier. I think we're going to have to gear up for what's about to come. We have a lot of large forces against us. And as much as we can hop online and say, this is not the the, the true narrative, this is falsehood. And, and they are selling this to you in, in an effort to make you violent, in an effort to uh, throw gasoline on these fires. We we just have to get ready for what's to come and keep challenging the narratives in our own lives, in our own communities, and hope that that somehow makes a difference. A little bit of hope, that's, that's kind of all we got. Well, I thank you guys for doing this, and uh, I have a feeling we'll have you both back because this, this conversation obviously isn't going anywhere. So thank you, you guys. We'll link to all your stuff right down below. We're gonna let you go. I'm gonna finish up for a minute or two with the, the good people of YouTube. Um, all right, guys, so this is, this is kind of where we're at. You know, Elijah's warning there at the end, it's, it feels alarmist at some level, and then it's like, well, we know that this stuff is happening. Like, why are we letting cities burn? And why are we letting politicians say things that are so counter to the American experience? I, I don't wanna throw a gajillion people in jail. I don't want cops to abuse people or to kill people or any of those things, but we're not having the honest conversations about any of this. We're not having the honest conversations about the amount of black people killed by cops versus white people killed by cops versus what behaviors lead to those things and resisting arrest and drug use and family and all of those things. Like we're, we're not really talking any about any of that. They have done an incredibly good job, and I think Elijah was hitting on this. The media, the progressives, the machine, the Twitter thing, all of that has done this incredible job at keeping the the focus on that America is somehow fundamentally racist 
and that it is run by white supremacists and must be disassembled. That's what they are trying to do. That is what Rashida Tlaib wants to do. That's what AOC wants to do. Don't take my word for it, take their word for it. As I keep calling back to, remember back to the primaries when our gay transportation secretary, now that that's what he is, just former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, uh, little Barack Obama wannabe, sounds just like him. There's a great video of uh, Buttigieg and Obama side by side. You can see they completely like an acting class got him to speak with his affect. But anyway, he turns to Bernie and he says, you wanna burn it all down, I don't. Well, Bernie sort of unleashed all of this stuff that America is evil, that socialism is better. And by the way, I kept saying, I mean, you can find videos of mine from three, four years ago saying that the democratic socialists, they're gonna drop the Democrat part the second they can, and in essence, they've completely unmasked themselves, and they're basically saying, we are here, we are socialists, we are Marxists, and we're also buying $1.4 million houses in Topanga Canyon with a 98.6% of the population that's white. So anyway, oh, how do I do it? How do I get you guys to a, to a decent place on a Friday for the weekend? Well, I do it with this, which is just don't add fuel to the fire. How, however, however you can, just don't add fuel to the fire, but perhaps more importantly, you know, know how to protect your, your family and your friends and your local community, maybe know your neighbors um, and, and try perhaps to get involved at the local level so that your community leaders are, are you know, in charge of a police force that's gonna do the right thing. Because, you know, as Elijah said, I, I actually feel a lot of sympathy for the cops that stand there and they don't know exactly what to do or they don't wanna do anything because they don't wanna get called racist. And, and then what we have is all of these places burning and you can just go, I've traveled this country enough to know that we have tons of just boarded up things and it's half COVID and half this. And you know, it's really odd. Where, where are the Trump people burning down buildings and everything else? I, I'm not even gonna address the thing on the six for a second. And Elijah made a point that now there's all of this evidence coming out that they told all the Capitol Hill police to stand down so people were just wandering in. Doesn't excuse anyone that was doing anything violent, obviously but they were literally just ushering people in. I mean, you can see videos of it, but okay. But like, where are the Trump people burning cities down? Like, know what this is and don't listen to the mainstream media anymore. Just don't listen. Jordan Peterson actually, uh, he made a point on another podcast a few days ago that it's like, if you're under 30, no one's listening to the mainstream media anyway. No one's listening to them. So as I often talk about, it's like, how much attention do we have to pay them? They're, they're still the shiny thing for some reason. Like you think if something's on mainstream that it, we have to pay attention to it or we have to counter it, but maybe we should just be letting it go, letting it go because what would CNN have if not to just talk about how racist Tucker Carlson is every day? Like they would pretty much have nothing else. So I, I, that's one of the things that I think about a lot in, in the direction that I wanna go and the types of things that I wanna talk about and the ability to rebuild something after this stuff. Anyway, uh, have a good weekend. Get offline if you can. If you wanna play along with us, uh, I post food pictures and music and dog stuff and all that good stuff at rubenreport.locals.com and uh, take a breath. It's gonna be all right. All right, see you guys. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you wanna connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.